Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. Hi guys, it's Caroline Stephen, financial journalist. Today's episode of Talking Trading, we look at the power of purpose and not giving up. Our special guest today is motivational speaker Chris Helder for part two of his interview on his new book, Cut the Noise, which has just reached the bestseller list. Chris shares an incredible story about his mum and her role in Operation Baby Lift during the Vietnam War to illustrate the power of purpose. We also look at core beliefs and identity and other tools to cut the noise. Meantime, Louise Bedford looks at the power of not giving up in Mind Power. I remember the first time that I walked to the shops by myself. I was four years old. My pigtails were swinging as I walked and it was a big deal. A huge deal. The lure of the two-cent bag of lollies sang loudly in my ears. I was so excited. Yes, I looked both ways as I crossed the road. Tick. And yes, I remembered to turn right at that street with the big tree. Tick. But then disaster struck. I checked my pocket. Oh my gosh, that two-cent coin. Where did it go? Panic set in. I started to cry. I started hunting. I tried to stay calm, but I felt so choked as I started to feel that constriction at the back of my throat. No luck. I couldn't find that two-cent coin. But just as I had begun to give up hope, my neighbour appeared out of nowhere. He helped me look. He helped me retrace my steps and voila, there it was, that two cent coin. I was so grateful. I held on to that coin so tightly. I ran the rest of the way to the shop. Those lollies, they were super sweet that day. The victory, it was immense. And when you think back over your life, I'll bet that there are things that you handle with ease now that were once as perplexing as hell. And if that's the case, don't you think that maybe, just maybe, that the things that seemed hard in your past could be the things that seem easy now, and in years to come, that cycle could repeat for you. You had to struggle back then, but now it's a breeze. The struggle is often forgotten once you've conquered that skill and trading is no exception. The efforts that you're going to now will set you up for a life of ease in the future. Your trader's life. 
But if you give up, when you drop that two cent coin, you will never know the sweet treats that await. Don't give up. Pursue your own trading education. Your future you deserves it. I'm Louise Bedford. Chris Tate and I have been trading full-time since the 90s, and we're ready to show you how you can join us. Come to our one-day, 12-months of support seminar called How to Trade Full-Time, Unleash the Superhero Trader Within. We're coming to the Gold Coast, Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth to show you how you can finally kiss your job goodbye and trade your way to freedom. Go to tradinggame.com.au for all the details. Tradinggame.com.au And the dates for Chris and Louise's one-day seminar are on the 10th of June, they'll be in the Gold Coast. On the 15th of July, they're in Perth. On the 22nd of July, they're in Melbourne. And on the 29th of July, they're in Sydney. To make sure you're in that room, Go to tradinggame.com.au. Hi, this is Dr. Barry Burns with Top Dog Trading, and I am a big fan and listen to Talking Trading. Every episode that comes out, I've subscribed, I've gone there, I'm listening, and I'm loving it, and you should too. Chris Helder has been a motivational speaker for over 16 years. He is the author of The Ultimate Book of Influence, useful beliefs and he's just released his new book cut the noise which has just gone to the bestseller list here is part two of our interview together on cut the noise love money accomplishment let's talk about this tool that came up in your book this is you know one that i've um love money and accomplishment it's a framing technique um Again, I'm going to I'm going to make fun of my own industry for a second because I, you know, I've, I've heard so many people, particularly at sales conferences, stand up in front of people and say, "Prospecting, you got to love prospecting. When you love prospecting, you'll be successful." And and there's an element of truth in that, but of course, I always look out at the audience when I hear somebody say something like that, and and you've got two percent of the audience that are vibing on that. They're like, yeah, prospecting, that'd be great. But 98% of the people are going, oh, God, right? Because they don't want to prospect. I don't even know what's meant by prospecting. So in a sales context, Caroline, we're talking about, you know, going to win new business, going to pick up the phone to call potential customers. And, and you can see people go, oh, that's hard. I don't want to do that. And ultimately, they say things like this. It's not fun. Right. Um, and, and to make this come alive, look, I, I think sometimes things aren't fun that have to be done. And we live in this world today, right, where everything's supposed to be fun. And, you know, you talk to the millennials today and they're like, this isn't fun. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but there are things and aspects of life and business and work to be successful that are hard work. And I say that, that they're not always fun. Um, all right. Let me bring this all the way back. Sometimes it's important that we recognize it's not about fun. It's not about love, right? The love piece or the fun piece, but it's about money. And to make money, this is what I have to do, right? So I have to call new clients. That's what I'm gonna have to do in the context of money. Sometimes it's a job, it's accomplishment that I have to get done. Uh, Easiest way to illustrate this. Um, I have a dog and dogs go to the bathroom in the backyard, right? So this is what dogs do. 
right? So um, let's uh, let's say that my 12-year-old son says, I say to him, uh, it's time for you to clean up the backyard. And he says, Dad, I don't want to do that. That's not fun, all right? So there's no love in that. It's not a love task, right? I say to him, it doesn't matter that it's not fun. It has to be done. It's an accomplishment task. It has to be done. He says to me, Dad, what about, why don't you give me $5 and I'll go do it? It's like, no, this is not a money task either, right? So it's just a job. Sometimes the dishes have to be done. So my point of it is, was to help people frame up. Sometimes going out with your friends, going on a date, those are love tasks. Hanging out, you know, doing fun stuff. Going to the gym even for some people is going to be a love, fun task. Sometimes it's about money. It's calling new customers. It doesn't have to be fun. It's about calling new customers. It's about building businesses. It's about being driven by success in business. The third task is accomplishment. Sometimes I have to paint the fence. I'm neither going to make money nor am I going to possibly enjoy it. I can do my best with it, but I may not enjoy paying an offense. So love, money, accomplishment simply sets up a task. It gives you a frame to get through that task because otherwise, as we've all seen teenagers look at us and go, or we've all seen employees look at us and go, uh, this isn't fun. I don't want to do that. Well, it's not necessarily about that. So this was just a frame to help people get through that. Cut the noise of ourselves and identify what has to be done, and let's get it done. Last year, I interviewed Lane Beachley, the world champion surfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said something that really surprised me and that I think about quite a lot. She said that purpose is more important than passion. If you find your purpose, you'll find your passion. So I wanted to talk about purpose with you. It's interesting. In the book, I talk about purpose also eliminates guilt. And I tell a story about my mom. Um, My mom in 1975 went to Vietnam, and she was a part of Operation Babylift. And I tell the story. uh, Operation Babylift uh, saved 2,700 orphan babies from the Viet Cong, um, and they came to Australia, and they came to the United States. And my mom, as uh, she had a couple small children, myself and my brother, um, she talks about how sometimes that sense of purpose – overrides guilt. And, and I won't spoil the story because it's in, it's in the book, but the reality of it is obviously a huge sense of guilt. And I guess the reality is I, I asked, <laughs> I was five, my brother was two. I, I so often wonder if my wife had said to me when I was, when uh, we had children that were five and two, um, oh, by the way, honey, uh, I got a five and a two-year-old. Um, I would like to go to a war-torn country and save orphan babies. I'm just curious how that conversation rolls. I, I uh, somehow my dad's my dad's one of two things, right? Either is the most understanding was the most understanding dad in the history of the world, or number two, and this is altogether possible that he was thinking to himself, "This is a chance to get rid of her." That's uh, I do. Uh, this was a very dangerous uh, dangerous mission, and I, I don't know. Uh, either way, uh, it was a very dangerous mission. In fact, uh, my mom was supposed to be on the first flight out of Saigon. Chris, tell uh, the that, story because yeah. I don't think it'll spoil it. Tell the story now. It's such a powerful story. Well, uh, uh, so two things. It was a dangerous mission. My mom was supposed to be on the first flight out of Saigon, uh, that first jet. Um, the, the first jet blew up and, and, and that killed 220 uh, volunteers and orphan babies. Um, she... My earliest memory as a child, uh, as a five-year-old, is my father frantically in a pre-internet world uh, trying to find out whether my mom was alive. And that second, she ended up on the second flight that, that took off out of Saigon. Um, uh, my mom wrote a book called This Must Be My Brother, and there, she was featured in many documentaries and different things uh, as part of that process. 
Um, the interesting thing was it was dangerous. That's my point. And my mom, everyone told her not to go. Uh, and you can imagine family told her not to go. Friends told her not to go. And my mom said she was so committed to the purpose. And then on the, she didn't feel guilty because she was so committed to the purpose. She was on the flight, however, from the Philippines to Guam on the way in and she had a panic attack on an airplane. And as there she was for the first time, I think she became as the reality set in, they were, you know, closing in now uh, on Saigon, that she had a panic attack about what she had done. What has she done? You know, what if she doesn't make it through this? And, and she, but she told the story about this flight attendant in the middle of the night as she was hysterically crying on the plane. And this flight attendant, a male flight attendant, came up to her and um, said, ma'am, what's wrong? And she said, I think I've made a terrible mistake. I'm feeling terribly guilty. I've, I've left my family. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to do this. Uh, and to hear her tell it, she, she talks about the fact that the uh, flight attendant knelt down and he, he, he puts his hands over her hands. And, and he says, ma'am, I, I want you to, to go back and tell me something. Why did you do this in the first place? And she proceeded to start to talk about how this was such a passion of hers. But more than that, this was a purpose. This purpose she felt to go there and save these babies and how often do people get a chance to connect and do this type of thing um, that there's a once in a lifetime opportunity and and she told the story and reconnected to it and she said instantly she felt the guilt as just eliminate from her body just disappear from her body and the flight attendant looked at her and she says they met eyes and he just said you're going to be just fine. And she said, I never felt guilty again. She said, it just disappeared from my body. And, and she said, the purpose overrides guilt. Because, you know, so often we could feel guilty about so many things and it holds us back from having a crack and doing something special and doing something miraculous in our life. And, and for her, that was purpose that was driving her. And to this day, it's, it's one of the things she holds dearest uh, to herself in her life. And, and, and so I challenge in the book, I, I talk about purpose overrides guilt. And, you know, we all feel the guilt, be conscious of it, and then reconnect to the purpose. And then, and then do, something, do something special. Like save 700 babies. Like save, yeah, and, and the Operation Baby Lift still saved 2,700 babies, which was incredible. Yeah, and, and and people can 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 look that up on YouTube and stuff. The uh, you know the Operation Babylift story. So I wanted in a book. I wanted to to talk about that. I wanted to you know I think that was a uh, I just I like that purpose overrides guilt. We we are there are so many things that guilt stops us from doing, and, and you know we need to ask ourselves. Um, you know, sometimes it's important to dial into that purpose. What are we doing? What are we doing? We get one crack at this thing, right? I mean. Uh, um, <laughs> let's cut the noise and you know we we give so much noise and give so much credence to the noise and you know sometimes we need to get back uh and and get reconnected to to, to what's important uh ultimately that, that we want to get done in our life so the final step in cutting the noise in your book and we talked about this in our previous interview identity and core beliefs and how they make up your identity and how important identity is in how you act I'm, yeah, uh, we, we did talk about it in, in the last one. And, and in this one, look, I really almost just wanted to plant a couple seeds in this book. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really going even further, I think, in some of the, the talks that I'm giving and, and, and the writing that I'm doing around, around core beliefs. But there were just a couple things that I just wanted to hit um, for people to, to think about that, um, 
you know, maybe as an approach to how they, they, they go through their lives and how we, you know, cut through this and, and this, uh, this journey, if you will. And, and like, for example, one of the first core beliefs I, I talked about is, is um, it, it, the importance of, of approaching things with love, not fear. And love, not fear is one of my favorite, you know, uh, things because um, just to, and I'll give you a, quickly some examples. Uh, love, not fear, business sense. Let's go back to calling customers. If I call customers and I approach it with fear, uh, that is, I'm going to get rejected. That is, they're not going to like me. That is, they're going to be mean to me on the other end of the phone. I'm going to feel bad about myself. I'm fearful of this call. Then obviously the studies all show you're not going to be as successful. Instead of saying, hey, listen, again, I'm going to approach this today. I'm going to enjoy, uh, you know, listen, this has to be done. I'm going to love the people, right? It's a job. I don't have to have, even have fun doing it. It's not even about, but it's a, I'm, I'm going to call the customers and I'm going to find the love for the people. I'm going to, on the other end of the call, uh, relationships, love, not fear. If you approach a relationship, believing they're going to leave you, ultimately cheat on you, ultimately, uh, the, the relationship will fail because that's your past experience. If you approach it from a place of fear, uh, we are much less likely to have success than if we are going to approach it with love and say, listen, I love this person. I can't predict the future. I'm going to be in the moment. We will see what we see, which is also a part of the book. We'll see what we see. I'm going to go into that relationship with love. Um, that's going to be more successful. If we approach um, starting a new business, believing it's going to fail, uh, this is going to fail. This isn't going to work. Uh, uh, I'm going to approach it with fear instead of going, no, you know what? How exciting. I get to approach this new thing with purpose and love and, and, and enjoyment. Um, we're going to find a, a different level of approach. So, um, by the way, um, we certainly have many, 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 many examples of, of, of change that happens. And, and people are fearful of that uh, from, you know, people, different kinds of people we encounter. If you approach that with fear, uh, you will end up on the wrong side of history uh, instead of approaching it with love. Uh, so, you know, that's just one uh, of the things just to think about um, a family reunion. You approach it with fear. This is going to be a disaster. Uh, I can't stand my brothers and sisters. This is going to be a, uh, if you, it's, you know, again, not not as successful as if you approach it with love. Okay. Um, so that was one. Love, not fear is, is one. Uh, gratitude uh, gives us more things to be grateful for. That's another one. Um, and, and again, that abundance of gratitude about the world changes how we how we see things um, in the world. Uh, so these are just some examples of, of some of the values. Sure. So your motto is useful beliefs lead you to useful actions and that happiness isn't necessarily something you try to be. It is the result of living a full life. <laughs> we talked in the last podcast about useful belief and um, you know, I was very honored to write, you know, to, I mean, I wrote the book useful belief. Uh, it did end up one of the, um, uh, one of uh, Australia business book, uh, one of the all time highest selling Australian business books, which was brilliant, but it, it really resonated with people. Cause I talked about the fact that positive thinking doesn't work. <laughs> so not by itself, we needed action to go with it. And if you, again, you just thought about um, being happy, um, often it's hard to be happy. Like you're like, going to be happy today. And it's like, Oh, that's a lot of pressure to be happy. And, uh, it's like, you ever tried to relax on a holiday, Carolyn? It's like, there you are. You're like, I'm four days in. I can't relax. It's like, I have to relax. Like as soon as you're trying to relax, you're, uh, it's hard to relax. Right. So instead, uh, it's about action. Take it to go for a walk and feel yourself start to relax. Don't put, you know, don't have to relax. So this, um, idea of happiness, um, I, it's best illustrated. I had a, 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 I did a conference and I, and I talked at the conference. I said to this uh, 
you know, I said positive thinking doesn't work. I had this woman come to me three months afterwards. She was 28 years old. She said to me, Chris, I saw you speak at the conference and you told me positive thinking doesn't work. She said, I felt the weight of the world lift off my shoulders. She said, for the first time in my life, I didn't have to be happy. I didn't have to be positive. She said, everyone told me to be positive my whole life. She said, I've suffered some anxiety. I've suffered some depression my whole life. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have to be happy. And, um, she said this, she said, three months on, she said, your useful action. She said, I, I wake up every day now and I think to myself, what's the most useful thing for me to do to get through today? Um, and she said the most amazing thing had happened. She said, first of all, she'd never been that productive. But second of all, she said, I've never been happier in my life. Now, so this is an interesting thing. Happiness is the byproduct of having this full life. Um, most people are trying to find so much. Many people are trying to find happiness on the front side. Uh, where's my happiness? I had it. I had it around here somewhere. Uh, where I left it. So where is where? Is, even we have things called the search for happiness. Like I'm searching for it. It must be here somewhere. Uh, where did I leave it? I, I left it the health spa in Byron. That's where I left it. I left it in Byron Bay, the health spa. Uh, I was happy there, so uh, it must be there. Um, that's the last time I had it. Instead of actually thinking about this idea of living the life with the circles of importance, living a conscious life, uh, living a life where, again, we have focus, we're cutting the noise, we're not listening to all the, the, the social media crap, we're not listening to, we're actually focused on what's really important in our lives. And when we live that full life, happiness is the byproduct. Uh, we feel happy. And so I think we've got it the wrong way around. On that note, it's so positive. I think I'll close. But I did want to just go through some of the useful beliefs because every time I read them, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, this is what you say. This is the best time in the history of the world to be alive. You yep. want to take over? This is the best time ever to be in your industry. This is the best yep. time ever to be a parent. You had the parents you were supposed to have. Everything happened in your life for a reason. You know, all those things are useful beliefs. And, you know, when we believe them, um, our brain goes and finds beautiful things. I'll tell you a quick story since the last time we spoke. Um, I was doing, I was in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was speaking in Las Vegas for the T20 conference, um, which, which happens to be the 20 top real estate agents in the United States of America and me, <laughs> a couple of egos in those room, in that room. Uh, but it, it was the T20 and me for three hours in a roundtable situation. And I walked in and I met this wonderful man. Well, I met him. I say I met him. He walked in. He goes, Chris Elder, and he, and he knew me. And uh, he walks up to me. He goes, My name's Robert Slack. And uh, I love the I love the fact his name's Robert Slack because. Uh, Slack. You'd never meet a guy who less defined his last name than this guy. He was 74 years old. And he said, life begins at 70, Chris Elder. That's a useful belief. And, and you know, it is interesting. You meet so many people who somehow think at 45 or 55 or 65, they need to think differently. And his, he said, you, I read your book, life begins at 70, useful belief. And I said, he goes, guess Guess when I started my business? He goes, I'm 74 years old. Guess when I started my business? I said, I don't know, Robert. I'm going to say you were, uh, I'm going to say you were 40. And uh, he goes, wrong. 
He goes, I was 70 years old when I started my business, and I'm now 74, and he goes, I have 110 people working under me, 110 people working for me. And, and then I love this because he took the whole state, Caroline. He said, he said, and I sell Florida. I sell Florida. That's it. He took the whole state. And, you know, here's just an example of – here's an example of a guy, 70 years old, starts a business 74, and he walks around with the energy of seven people. And – you know, that's a useful belief. Life begins at 70. Um, you know, we are not defined by our past. Um, I like to think that our past, every step in the, in, in the chain of our life, led us to be in this room today listening to this podcast. And this podcast is the exact podcast you're supposed to be listening to right now. This is the exact room you're supposed to be in right now to launch the rest of your life. And again, I don't care whether we're 17 or 77. You know, we can... St- Start today, and this is what we can control. Two things stop growth, as we said, focusing on things we, we, we can't control and focusing on things we will not change. So this is where we're at. And, you know, again, starting to think about cutting all the noise, having a useful belief about where we are in our lives, and really starting to think about this year, what are we going to start doing, what are we going to stop doing, and what are we going to keep doing? And I think through that process, I think we're going to find some happiness along the way. Where can people go to buy a copy of Cut the Noise? Cut the Noise is available in bookstores now. Uh, So, again, and very important to know, it's a one-hour read, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. So, again, uh, it'll be – it's big in the airports. It's, uh, you know, people picking up a copy of it. Uh, for that one-hour flight or two-hour flight is absolutely perfect. Uh, It's also available uh, on my website along with tons of video uh, at chrishelder.com. Uh, people can go to YouTube, uh, look up Chris Helder. There's tons of video. Again, all to help them uh, on their journey. And uh, I try to post some fun stuff on Instagram and Facebook as well. So uh, uh, feel free. But uh, chrishelder.com, uh, cut the noise. Chris Helder, thanks for your time. Hey, thanks so much. Great speaking again. And next show, we hear from mentoree Wendy Gaylord on her trading journey. I'm Caroline Stephen. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to TalkingTrading.com.au with Caroline Stephen. Make sure you are subscribed to this website to receive the very latest market views, commentary, and expert opinion. Tune in next week as we've got a bumper show planned. Bye for now. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regard to your own situation.